Thought maybe you boys might be interested in putting on a big-time wrestling bout. You know, make a nice hunk of dough for yourself. It's time to play! Yes, Virginia, there is a Santa Claus. Morgan, you're out of here. You don't have the right temperament for the trade. You're a dead man. What am I supposed to do? There's always barber college. Frankie, I know you're a great wrestler, but my brother, who ain't as handsome as you, is as strong as Charles Atlas. Yeah, but I've wrestled women that are bigger than him. Sure, you got fat, sloppy women. Hello and welcome to Camel Clutch Cinema, the podcast where we talk about movies that star wrestlers or have wrestling in them. I'm Guy Hutchinson. And I'm Craig Cohen. On this episode, we are talking about Ready to Rumble, and I cannot tell you how ready to rumble I really am. Goodness, we are talking about a WCW movie, and I cannot wait. Um, and before we get started, be forewarned that this discussion will be chock full of spoilers. Yes, indeed. I, I'm excited to talk about this one. You and I saw this in the theaters when this was brand new, and I remember we couldn't wait. It was like we heard about this, and we we're like, "Oh, this is a train wreck. We need to be, we need to be standing by to watch." And we went to the theater. And it was just us. And I think there was like a guy sleeping in the back of the theater and then like an employee and his girlfriend that showed up for a few minutes and then left. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this was, I mean, we'll get to the release date, but this was pretty much after WCW had, had run its course. Yeah, this was strange. You told me uh, a week or two ago, you said, you know, I just watched Ready to Rumble with my brother. And I said, oh, my God, we got to do that movie. This is a movie we thought about when we did The Marine for the first episode of this show. We thought about doing this movie. and We're like, this movie is too damn crazy to kick yes. things off with. This will scare people away. People that haven't seen this movie will just not believe us. They'll be like, oh, that's those guys that make up movies because they're <laughs> There's no way a movie could exist anything like this. Yeah. <laughs> the title of this movie, Ready to Rumble, is uh, is based on the Michael Buffer, you know, let's get ready to rumble, which, which, by the way, I think now that we've said that, we have to pay him. Yeah, I think pretty much that's going to eat up our cost for the year. <laughs> but... I guess that's not a universal phrase. That's not something known around the world. Because if you go to the Wikipedia page, it says, ready to rumble. And then it says, known in Japan as headlock, go, go, American wrestling. <laughs> and in Japan on video as headlock, go, go, professional wrestling. <laughs> Which I don't I know. I, I guess it, in in the theaters, you know, there weren't enough people going to see Headlock Go Go American Wrestling, so they were like, maybe we should specify that it's professional wrestling because maybe there were people that were like, American wrestling, it's not sumo, you know, and they yeah. want to say in Japan. Um, what they seem to call wrestling a lot, which is very odd, they use the phrase Budokan a lot for wrestling, um, which is an arena. It's a very famous arena in Japan, and yes. the arena is so closely associated with wrestling that they tend to use that as a term for wrestling. I don't know beyond that what their term for wrestling is, but uh, I guess I guess headlock go go American wrestling it is. I would love to print out a uh, an alternate DVD oh cover <laughs> with that just... uh, that poster. I I don't know. I can tell you if I had not seen this movie when it came out. And I had a choice between watching a movie called Ready to Rumble and one called Headlock Go Go American Wrestling. I could tell you, I'd be Headlock and Go Go for American Wrestling, baby. Yeah. And actually, it's funny because I think 
I haven't looked at the the movie poster in a while, but it's it's Arquette and Khan in a headlock, right? Yes. Um, yeah. That's, I think <laughs> I don't think the person that made up the foreign title actually watched the movie. I think they just looked at the cover. Yes, indeed. Or the poster. Uh, so yeah, so I remember seeing this in theaters. I remember we I, I remember we both really liked it. Uh, we liked uh, Frank Zappa's son's appearance a whole lot. We loved all the wrestling cameos that happened throughout. What was your general feeling watching it again recently? I think it was it was clouded in so much nostalgia mm-hmm. just for WCW in general. Um, it's still a very very fun movie to watch, and um, it was it was it was great watching it again. Yeah. Now I'm going to bring an interesting perspective to this. Um, my mother-in-law loves comedy. She loves comedy movies generally. If you if you're if it's a really silly movie like this is, she's in for it. And she wanted to watch something, and I said, "Oh, I've got to watch this wrestling movie." Uh, but it's a it's a really silly comedy. I think you'll like it. It's got James Caan's son in it, and so my wife and my mother in law and I watched this. And I got to tell you, my mother in law. She doesn't know John Cena, you know, from John Ritter, but she yes. loved this movie. She thought this movie was absolutely hysterical. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, this is, I think this, if if you want a dumb comedy, and this, this is a dumb, dumb comedy, <laughs> this is right there for you. I think this is a fun movie. Why don't you tell us the plot? All right, with their brains in a hammerlock and their hope high, slacker doofus wrestling fanatics David Arquette and Scott Kahn set out to help their favorite Monday Nitro hero regain the championship. You know, it's really not fair that you always have to get stuck with the plot summaries where they're always so poorly written. I assume that means hopes high, but it does say hope high. Yes. (laughs) Which I think that's actually, uh, I think that's where Obama went to high school, right? Didn't he go? Yes. He went to Hope High and then Change University. Yes, Change University, yeah. This was released April 5th in 2000, which was, I always, you know, I think people our age mark uh, our lifetime to a degree between things that happened before September 11th and things that happened after. And this movie even has a shot of the Twin Towers in it. And so this was a pre-9-11 film. Yeah. Made $12 million at the box office and... $58,000 foreign? Is, you think that's right? I, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it was funny. I was actually looking at, at some box office today, and, and it seems if movies are very, very specific to um, America, they're not going to do well overseas. Wow. Headlock, go, go, American wrestling made enough money to buy a nice condo. That was <laughs> – it was – it was not really raking them in. No wonder they renamed it when they put it on home video. Uh, it had a budget of $24 million, which is a very low budget. That's uh, While that sounds very high to a layman, that uh, for a movie is, is very low. Um, oh, yeah. And it was Box Office Mojo says it's number 48 on the list of sports comedies. So if, if a movie is considered a sports comedy, they automatically put it in there. And so that means, you know, movies like Major League and, you know, other sports comedies, 48's not terrible of all time. No, it's top 50. That's, uh, that's, that's commendable. Yeah. Now, uh, why don't you read some of the other films that made the top 10 of that list? Yeah, and there's actually quite a few wrestlers that that are uh, in some of these movies. We've got The Waterboy, um, which – is Big Show in that? Oh, yeah. Big Show's got a cameo in that as Captain Insano. Yes. Uh, and then The Longest Yard, which I think 
Stone Cold was in. Yeah, Stone Cold's in that, and I believe the great Kali. Yes. In the longest yard. <laughs> uh, Talladega Nights, Blades of Glory, Dodgeball, Nacho Libre. Oh, which is my a, God. Uh, the greatest luchador film ever made in America. Yeah, that's another one that I know we're going to talk about on this show eventually. I will, I will uh, spoil that review. I would never <laughs> tap out to that film. I've probably seen that film more times than just about any other film we'll ever talk about. Yeah, and we've got a lot to talk about with that movie because I know that uh, that you own a piece of it. Yes, I do. So let's not spoil that. We do yeah. need to talk about that. 2013 will be the Nacho Libre year. What else is on this list here, Craig? Uh, White Man Can't Jump, uh-huh. uh, Cool Runnings, yep. Bring It On, and The Benchwarmers. Oh, wow. The Benchwarmers. John Heater, who, who yes. appeared on Monday Night Raw a couple of times. That's pretty neat. Yeah. This uh this movie's got a director who's got such an interesting past. Brian Robbins, he was on Head of the Class. Yeah. And Which then, is funny because it's it's funny because most people would say, Oh yeah, that's what he's known for and now he's gone on to have this, you know, behind the scenes oh, career that yeah. I think overshadows his, his acting career. It definitely does. And he's done a lot of films that are noted and, you know, well respected. This is not one of them, but he uh <laughs> He has done quite a few. Also interesting, he has the same birthday as me, but he was born uh, several years earlier. He's born November 22nd, but he was born 1963. So he was born the day that John F. Kennedy was shot. So that is our second tragedy that I've mentioned during this broadcast. Yeah. And you know what's crazy about this? Um, I know we've probably talked about this offline, but me and you were both born on the date that a president was assassinated. Ooh, who is the yeah. president that was born on, on the date of your birth? And, and tell us the date as well. Well, April 14th, um, President Lincoln was shot. Mm-hmm. He didn't die till the 15th, but I still say that, you know, it, since he was shot on the 14th, that's when the assassination happened. That's I think I, I think you could go either way, but I think your I if I had to choose, I'd go with your your answer on that. Because I mean he was assassinated on that day, you know. If he hung on for a month, what are you gonna it's gonna be a month later? Come on. Yeah, yeah. And you know what's interesting? There's always the connection that people make between those two assassinations. They say, Oh, Kennedy had a secretary named Lincoln, and Lincoln had a secretary named Kennedy, and Kennedy had a driver named Lincoln, and Lincoln had no car. You know, I mean, they, they, they always try to do that, you know, with those yeah, two. No car so, and no mustache. Yes, yes, he had no mustache, but he loved rocking that beard. <laughs> I'll tell you, when I was a kid, I did not understand how Lincoln was able to keep that beard on without <laughs> the mustache to hold it in place. <laughs> and I can't tell you when I outgrew that. Um, it might have been when I started shaving. <laughs> Uh, all right, this film written by Stephen Brill, who uh, who's done other films that fit right in on this, The Mighty Ducks and Little Nicky and other films, seems like the right guy to go for for this. I think this was a deal where they said, hey, you know what, we can make a movie with WCW. They're willing to do it. Let's get somebody that's the right fit to write that, somebody that the that's the right fit to direct it. I kind of get the feeling that everybody involved in this project, with the exception of David Arquette, was in it just to kind of put this together as a quick job to move on to their next job. Uh, I don't feel like there was a whole lot of love necessarily, but it's just that these people were guys that could could do this well. Oh, sure. Yeah. David Arquette, on the other hand. <laughs> My goodness gracious. Yeah, he's had quite a history with professional wrestling. All right, let's try to run through his his uh, his career in wrestling. April twelfth, two thousand, he appears on an episode of Thunder. He's he he's worked into a uh, 
a bit with Eric Bischoff and the New Blood Stable. And so then he gets in an alliance with, with Chris Canyon, who's in the film as the body double for a character he should never be body doubling for. Yes, Jimmy King. And uh, there's a, there was a whole storyline where Diamond Dallas Page was on his side, which is interesting. And, and uh, uh, you know, they, he, he got the title. I mean, all of this stuff just blows my mind in retrospect. Arquette said he didn't think it was a good idea. Yeah. Didn't think this was the smartest way to go. <laughs> I mean, he was WCW heavyweight champion. Yeah, that is a belt that when you watch SmackDown and Big Show comes out with that belt, right. that is a belt, that is a title that was held by David Arquette for over a month. Yeah, and it was always like, a, you know, the, he never beat anybody. It was always he lucked he into winning. He for it. Right, but he never, he never physically, you know, got in the ring, did a bunch of suplexes and, you know, beat somebody. It was always, you know, some uh, some gimmick where he got lucky, you know. Uh, he did well, the he actually, he, I was going to say he did, did the beat, worm. Yeah, and he did beat Tank Abbott uh, uh, once. Well, yeah. No, but... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, Tank Abbott's career as a wrestler, not exactly the, the highest point of his, his life. But I, again, I mean, you know, it wasn't like they booked him like Cena, where it was like all of a sudden oh, yeah. he would hawk up and then you can't see me and win the match. Yeah, I mean, he didn't even come out in proper wrestling gear. Yeah, he didn't. Uh, and, and, and nor should he have. If, if, uh, if he was seen without his shirt, I'm sure it would have ruined his acting career. He also did a vignette when he was filming 3,000 Miles to Graceland, another film that you and I both really enjoy, uh, yeah. where he and his wife, Courtney Cox, are there with Kurt Russell, and they, they're talking about how he's WCW champion, and Kurt Russell laughs at him and walks off. It was, you know, like a whole bit, and then Arquette comes after him with a steel chair. And so there was a lot of, you know, playing up this. I guess they felt this was a Hollywood star that they could – you know, latch on and get whatever mileage they could out of him. Oh, yeah. And, and Arquette at this time was probably at the peak of his career, if you think about it. I mean, he was coming off the, the screen films in the mm -hmm. late 90s, yeah. and he was, he was top-lining movies. He had a lot of comedies out. He had, what, C-Spot Run? Right. You know, uh, so, I mean, this wasn't a guy that was, you know, way past his, his earning potential. Yeah, I think I, I think this was towards the end of his highest point, but this was still his highest point of his career. Yeah. So he eventually lost the title. Uh, after that, he, he said that, and, and by the way, before I get past that, he donated the money he made to the families of Owen Hart and Brian Pillman, uh, as well as Darren Drozdov, who, you know, was, was paralyzed. Wonderful guy, Darren Drozdov, by the way. I've met him twice, once before he was paralyzed and once after, and he was a class act and, and the nicest, sunniest disposition on a guy you wouldn't expect to get that from both times. But he donated his money to them. This was, you know, this was a publicity stunt for him, but not a money grab. That is so great. I mean, that was something I did not know um, until just now. And that is that is really, really cool. Uh, since then, he's done a couple interesting WWE appearances. He, uh, he showed up in the crowd of SmackDown once and held up a sign that said, former WCW champ. And then he appeared as one of the presenters on the, uh, on the Slammies one year, I think 2010. And he did, he played up himself as a heel. Was that the, uh, the year two where his voice was completely shot? 
<laughs> yeah, so he's all raspy. Yeah. Like blown out his voice. Yeah, he was getting some great heat that night though. He was really healing it up. Oh, he's great. And he, he, uh, he did wrestle again and they kept saying, you know, I, I think they, they pitched it as we're going to see a former WCW champion in the main event, you know, and it turns out to be David Arquette. So really cool guy. He's done some of the be a star campaign stuff for WWE and, uh, really funny guy. He's had his uh, ups and downs in his career and his life, but, uh, I always, I'm a fan. Oh, me too. So this movie starts out, he's a sewage worker with Scott Kahn, and it, the characters are Gordy and Sean. And they love WCW, and they love the champ, Jimmy King. Played by Oliver Platt. Which is so wrong. And I think that's one of the things I like about this movie. Yeah. It's very much like Nacho Libre. It's a guy who would never, ever, ever wrestle. Yeah, it it, it almost seems like they sort of threw back to the the late 70s to mid-80s <laughs> period where yeah. you could really get in the ring in any kind of shape, in any kind of condition, with any kind of body type. It didn't matter how, you know, I, what you looked like. I, I think it's not I, – I think it's – you're right on all of those except for condition. I think it was any kind of shape. I think those guys, as much as, you know, guys like Joe LaDuke looked like they never hit the gym and they probably didn't, I think they probably had to have some cardio to do those matches. But my goodness, it was a time of beer-bellied guys who would hang out over their trunks and bill themselves as weighing less than they did rather than in the 80s when it went the other way. And they all said, no, I'm 300 pounds when they were 220. Yeah. In all fairness, though, uh, Oliver Platt, and this is not an insult, he's a, he's a fine actor, but he looks a little soft. No, oh, yeah, no, he, he, that's what I'm saying. He, yeah, yeah. he looks very soft. Um, uh, DDP's the bad guy in this, and he's DDP in this movie, and, uh, amusingly, he was the, 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 uh, the friend of David Arquette in the ring, uh, for whatever reason. DDP does pretty well in this movie, though, I thought. Oh, I agree, I agree. And I, I think if you really look back at the, at WCW in the late 90s, Diamond Dallas Page is really one of the one of their big guys. I mean, if you discount Hall and Nash and Hogan and all that, Diamond Dallas Page to me really defines what WCW was in the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he was a WCW original too. I mean, there's not a lot of guys you can say you can say that about Goldberg. You can say that about a few others, but he was a guy that they created. They didn't borrow. <laughs> Didn't Diamond Dallas Page appear at a WrestleMania prior to becoming a wrestler, though? <laughs> yeah. He uh, he drove Honky Tonk Man's car. He owned a pink Cadillac, and he drove it for the Honky Tonk Man. And remember when Greg Valentine had the black hair? Yes. He, so he was with Honky Tonk Man, and, and uh, DDP was driving him. That was his car. He was oh, wow. uh, He owned a pink Cadillac. He doesn't own it anymore. He said he uh, had to get rid of it. It was just he was sinking too much money into his pink Cadillac. Sure, but that I mean you could see him clear as day on that. On oh that yeah, pay-per-view. oh yeah. yeah. You watch that pay per view. It's definitely DDP. It's a convertible. It's pretty easy to see the driver, and he looks just like DDP. Yeah, that's great. I mean, one thing about him is he started wrestling later in life. I mean, you know, for for wrestlers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is interesting. Yeah. I always like that. Seamus is another guy that's done that, where Seamus uh, didn't actually necessarily start late, but he became a star late. He had been a, a wrestling trainer. You know, he had gone through where he had stopped really wrestling and said, I'm going to I'm going to train guys to wrestle and then, you know, decided to, you know, to try for it and, and, and made it. And I always think that's interesting. 
I like this opening scene. I like the big car crash. I like them in the sewage truck crying but pretending they're not crying. I think that's yeah, they, all very fun. Well, this is after uh, world heavyweight champion Jimmy King gets cheated out of the title by DDP and corrupt WCW promoter Titus Sinclair right. and a whole bunch of DDP's goons. Yes, exactly. Which so are these all guys, wrestlers. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you could argue that uh, Arquette and Khan, their characters are, for lack of a better word, they're, they're marks, but in the sense that in this world, this movie kind of this goes movie? back and forth with whether wrestling's real or not. Right, very much so, yes. There is... Uh, you know, there's stuff where Jimmy King is is poor and he's not multi-millionaire as he would be presented on television. But there's lots of stuff about how it's all real, but then it's not real. I mean, it is. It's interesting how it's played in the film. There's a scene I want to talk about, which uh, which I really like, which is the scene with Frank Zappa's son. Is it Ahmet? Ahmet, yes. Ahmet Zappa. I love this sequences. All of the sequences. At the convenience store. I think that yeah. they're fantastic. Yes. Ahmet pretty much plays the stereotypical wrestling is fake type of person a lot of wrestling fans might encounter in their uh, day-to-day travels. Yes. And there's the great scene where he... he <laughs> well, his... Let me guess. It involves the slushy. Yes, it does. Okay. He sticks his hand in his crack. And uh, he's like, what are you doing? He's like, I'm putting my hand in my crack, right? He's like... Uh, Yes. And then he he puts his hand, you know, up by the straw and he's like, smell it. Something's wrong with this slushy. And so that's how he gets the free refill. Yes. And Ahmet keeps smelling it. Yeah. It's it's so great. And he's like, he's like, how did you drink it? He's like, it was really tough, especially at the end. But I need a refill. Something was wrong with this slushy. So, uh, so the basics. They're actually, they're like the Jay and Bob of this movie in the sense that they seem to hang out in front of this convenience store. Right. I love these two characters. I I could watch Gordy and Sean in in five other stories. I would love to see one where, you know, they're really into, you know, maybe football. Maybe they're really into politics in another one. Maybe they, you know, they get a job at a theme park. I mean, I could watch these guys in many situations. Yeah, too bad this didn't go down the road of like a uh, those Ice Cuba or Ice Cube movies. Are the Are We There Yet movies? Oh yeah, yeah. It could have done that, or it could have been like Harold and Kumar. You know why? Why didn't this take off? It just it could have been something. We get some interesting characters when he goes to the trailer to find Jimmy King. We get to see Carolyn Ray, you know, who's a very famous actress, and. He, they have trouble finding Jimmy King. Later they find him. He's at this trailer. He's a mess. I mean, he's a complete waste. And I did kind of feel Jimmy King was a parody of Jerry Lawler. <laughs> That's the, Yeah, it, it, it definitely seemed like that. I mean, he was Southern. Uh, he was called the King. <laughs> right. There was a lot about it that I didn't know whether it was a mean parody, an homage, or just a, hey, this is a character a lot of people can relate to. Let's, you know, kind of... Do it. Mm-hmm. So, um, so we get to see uh, the stuff where where Gordy's at home, and he, you know, he wants to. He doesn't want to be a policeman, but his family—they're all policemen. <laughs> yes, and they, you know, they're all like wearing that typical highway patrol type of uniform with the the mirrored sunglasses, right. and you know, including mom and sister. <laughs> yes. 
Really, really classic. The the dad reminded me of the father uh, in terms of the way he was written and the way he acted of the dad from the uh, the Bill and Ted movies. Oh yeah, yeah. You know what? So much so the the dad from Bill and Ted, where you know he works at the police station, and then eventually you know that pays into the end with the hiding of the keys and everything. That's so true. I had not put that together, but I totally see it. It's like they used the template for that guy. Yeah. So, tell me about these Nitro Girls. We get a fake Nitro Girl played by Rose McGowan. And tell me about some of the real ones that we see. All right. Well, the Nitro Girls were like the Fly Girls of Nitro. They made their debut. that That is the worst thing to say because you went more obscure. You took something obscure and you made it more obscure. Yes. So the the fly girls were like the solid gold dancers. All right, maybe um, that's a little in living better. color. All right. Although now you're only appealing to very old people in the audience. But all right, we'll take it. So those are the Nitro Girls. Tell me about how they they came to be and what they were. Well, they made their debut on uh, July 14th, 1997, on an episode of Nitro, and they were formed by Kimberly Page, who was Diamond Dallas Page's wife, at the request of Eric Bischoff. Um, their main focus was to entertain the live fans during the commercials uh, during Monday Nitro. Uh, they also regularly performed in short segments on the show. They even had their own pay-per-view dubbed the Nitro Girls Swimsuit Calendar Special, which aired on August 3rd, 1999, and was later released on home video. They did, uh, they did spawn some pretty big talent. In late 99, the group held a competition to find a new member. And in November, Stacy Keebler defeated 300 other girls for a spot on the dance troupe and $10,000. Her winning routine was watched by 4.4 million viewers. And Stacy Keebler, as we know, went on to uh, a WWE career um, and has since uh, been on Dancing with the Stars. And I think she was dating, uh, what, George Clooney for a while? I think it might be George Clooney. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't she dating like A Rod for a while? Wasn't she at WrestleMania with A Rod, or was that another I, WWE no, I think, girl? I think it was her. I, I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. She's she's done a pretty good job of dis- distancing herself from her past. Or yeah, at least, uh, she's well. She's done a good job at being like a, a Paris Hilton light kind of person. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, the the group became more and more involved in storylines, and then it slowly dissolved. dissolved. They never officially broke up until 2001 when WCW was sold to Vince McMahon's World Wrestling Federation. And sadly, Vince did not decide to bring that faction back. There were two notable Nitro Girls uh, that, that I haven't mentioned yet. Uh, I'm going to give you their names. Uh, Storm. Do you remember Storm? I do remember Storm. And I know who Storm went on to become. That was Booker T's wife, Charmel, who also had the whole thing with Teddy Long. Yes. And Whisper. All right. Whisper isn't ringing a bell, but I'm assuming I'm assuming you're talking about Miss HBK, right? Yes. Okay. I didn't I did not know her Nitro name, but she was on uh, WWE TV in the whole Bret Hart car angle. She was the one that hit Bret Hart with the car and and smashed up his leg, which he he didn't really smash up. Later, we found out that that was a fake injury within a fake injury before WrestleMania. And she she was on. TV in another segment, wasn't she? Or was it just an HBK segment? I don't remember. I wouldn't be surprised though if she's been on, you know, I mean, I would that one I remember specifically because I thought at the time, and a lot of people did, that that was going to be the angle 
was that, it, oh, it's HBK's wife that actually yeah. hit him. But it really was just, that. she just happened to be there that day. And they were like, hey, you're attractive. Why don't you do this segment? Yes. So, and then we have in the movie, like you said, the, their leader, uh, Rose McGowan, who plays Sasha, who is pretty much, um, I, I don't want to say a useless character, uh, <laughs> but a pretty useless character yeah. in terms of where her storyline goes. I know. I think she's only there. They probably started talking to all these girls and were like, none of them can carry the lines we need. So we have to get a real actress. And, you know, here's a name actress we can get. Very famous at the time. I think she was dating like Marilyn Manson. Yes. And they said, you know, we could throw her on camera. She's she, she can do the lines and we'll bring in a small, you know, but maybe, uh, you know, some people to the to the project, you know, watching it, you know, some audience. You know, the Nitro Girls, their big thing was those Nitro parties. I think you and I should see if we can get them to come out, maybe and Mean Gene, and we can hold the Nitro party one night. Was it Mean Gene or was it Stagger Lee Marshall? Stagger Lee. Yeah, I think it depended. I think it depended how close you were to Mean Gene's house. And didn't they, they, uh, I think it was tied in with one of those... 1-800-COLLECT, yes. They would call in from the party to say what a good time they were having. Right. Staggerly, I think, would do the ones on the phone, and then, then they'd actually send a camera crew with me and Gene to the to the myth of the Nitro Party, because I don't believe there was ever a Nitro Party that was held in the United States that was not filmed. I think every one of them was either filmed or broadcast on Nitro in an audio form. <laughs> Who does that? I, Who has a I, Nitro Party? But I think we should do it. We should bring it back. I think that's what we should do. Um, in the film at this point, they talk about the triple cage match, which eventually came to WCW. I think was a great thing that WWE ought to bring back. It was a cage with a cage on top of it with a cage on top of it. It looks awesome in the movie. Oh, yeah. It plays well in the film. And I think it's a really good plot within this. And I think, again, like Elimination Chamber, this I think would make a great pay-per-view every year. Oh, yeah, definitely. Especially if you utilize the, the cages in a way where you could have um, different guys on different levels at some point yeah. and then finally getting together. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, at this point in the story, we get the training montage and there's, you know, they go to the gym and you see Goldberg. And this is where you have the greatest cameo in this film. Yeah, and it, it's amazing. This is not a cameo that uh, viewers are going to have to strain to find. He almost looks straight at the camera, and it is uh, the, one of the, the biggest names in WWE at the moment. Yes. John Cena <laughs> is in this movie. He's bigger, I think, than any of the ac any of the wrestlers or actors in this film, and he has no lines and just kind of looks, looks away as he's, like, helping Bill Goldberg bench press. He's, like, spotting yeah. him. Yeah, and then he sits down at like one of those like those those peck fly machines, mm -hmm. and he and 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 he's seated facing the camera, so he he looks directly at the camera. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, it was just that he was a a guy that was you know an independent wrestler, I guess that they thought you know would be great in the scene because he was a bodybuilder, and he looks great in the scene. But God, it's so weird to see him in this. Yeah, and then you you get Bill Goldberg, who at the time was one of WCW's greatest guys. So. You know, this movie, it, it really feels like the mad, 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 mad <laughs> world of professional wrestling movies. I'll take that. That is an absolute good comparison. Uh, let's talk about Sal Bandini. This yes, is the Martin Mark Landau. Landau. Mm -hmm. 
This is interesting. I love Martin Landau. He's so well remembered for his part in Ed Wood, um, yes. which he's phenomenal in. But I mean, this is a guy who's been doing movies since I think the late 60s, early 70s. I've seen him in so many different things, including, you know, the old Mission Impossible series. Uh, great, great yeah. actor. He's playing Stu Hart. Yeah, basically. And, uh, uh, he's, he's playing, I, I, I think he played older than he really was here. Um, yeah, he's, he's doing one of those gimmicks where I ought to be dead. You know, it's the, it's the, I'm an old man. So therefore I'm, you know, 150. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, he, he looks great. He does the part perfectly. You would think that this guy, if he's not, uh, maybe I'm wrong, but I feel that he's an old time wrestling fan. Oh yeah, it, it, he definitely seemed to, to embrace this role with way too much gusto to uh, just be taking a paycheck. Academy Award winner Martin Landau, and he gets attacked yeah. by Sid Vicious and Saturn. Very sad. <laughs> yes. This is an amazing, amazing sequence. So basically, Sasha's uh, the Rose McGowan character's whole uh, reason for being in this movie is to find out who is trading Jimmy King, who for some reason needs a trainer after he was already WCW champ. Yes. Yeah, he so she to find somebody so he can get back on top. Yeah, so it, it didn't seem like it was that hard to figure out who was training Jimmy King, but she has to date David Arquette to find out that information. Right. So then they send, and this is one of my favorite sequences in the movie, mainly because of the people who are involved. You've got um, Sid Vicious and Perry Saturn going into his house to basically take out the old man, yeah. Sal Bandini. And let's talk about these two guys. First, you have Sid, who's the biggest goofball in the history of wrestling. This is a guy, top name, WWE talent, WWF champ at one point, WCW champ. Yeah. Probably the biggest goof to ever hold the WWF championship. Yeah. David Arquette tops him on the WCW side. Uh, you feel like to mention, though, his, his greatest achievement, though, of winning the uh, – the Greater Regional Atlanta uh, Softball Championship. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. This is a guy who would take time off from wrestling so he could go play softball. And uh, looked like a, a really muscled up William Cat. And uh, he was the ruler of the world. And he was the guy the Shockmaster came after. I mean, this was this was Sid. Sid yes. Vicious, Sid Justice, you know, just Sid, Psycho Sid, whatever you, yes. whatever you call him at the time. Anyway, you have him. Then you have Perry Saturn, and I don't like Perry Saturn for one reason. I almost cried when I thought Perry Saturn was dead because he was missing for so long. Perry Saturn disappeared. I remember that. In this day and age, when somebody falls off the face of the earth, it's got to be considered pretty serious because it's so hard to disappear nowadays. Yes, and I assume Perry Saturn had a uh, uh, Dino Bravo-like end. Where you know he was he was taken out you know he had got involved with something and he was in somebody's backyard under you know six feet under and and, and then he shows up with a face tattoo yes and Perry Saturn for those who might not remember him um, he wrestled in WWF uh, he was one of the guys that came over with what Benoit Ben Malenko and Eddie Guerrero uh, the Radicals with a Z yes and then he was basically turned into a comedy character and he had that whole run with. Al Snow with Moppy. Yeah, he had Moppy, and he was with Which Terry was... for a while. He was great. I thought he was really good. I was a fan of Perry Saturn, and so 
And who called him Perry Satellite? That was Hulk Hogan. Hulk Hogan referred to him in an interview as Perry Satellite. And I am not sure to this day whether that was a a, uh, a botch on Hogan's part or if Hogan was insulting him by getting his name wrong. And I don't know which it was. Let's uh, let's get through the end of this movie because there's yeah. so many wrestlers in this I want to talk about. We get the big ending uh, where where finally Jimmy King's going to wrestle. Uh, you know, there's there's a whole lot of connection between Gordy and Sean and Jimmy King, and there's a convoluted match with the the steel cage we've talked about. Yes, and the stipulation being that if Jimmy King can win, he'll get a million dollars, but if he loses, he has to retire. Right. And we, it seems like one of those incredibly weighted stipulations. Yes. But that was his only choice because in this movie there is no WWE for him to go to. Because that would have that would have been the best movie if like halfway through Jimmy King's like, Well, why don't I just go to WWE? And they just take him in and they're like Vince is like, Welcome aboard, and then the movie ends and you're only twenty five <laughs> minutes in. Oh, He's like, I'm sending awesome. you to Ohio to train with to train with Dusty Rhodes. And we're changing your name. <laughs> we already have a king. We uh we see um we see uh Booker T, Billy Kidman, Disco Inferno, a bunch of guys are in this ending sequence, as well as Sting, who was huge in WCW at this yes. time. And I gotta tell you, the setup for Sting in this movie is terrible. Unless you were a WCW fan, um, the Joe, uh, the Joey Pants character goes to Sting at the, it, it, who's hanging out in the bathroom or one of the locker rooms and says, don't you interfere tonight, you know, Sting. And that's the first time we see Sting. Right. And we're supposed to know who he is. I mean, this movie, for the most part, has done a pretty good job of setting things up. Yeah. But they they really just assumed that people were going to know who Sting was. Yeah, my mother-in-law, no idea who Sting was. This is one of the points in the movie where they weren't setting it up for general audiences. This was very specific. They were thinking everybody in this audience was going to be a wrestling fan. Uh, you mentioned Joey Pants. He's got a, a great part in this. This is Joey Pantaleone. I believe yeah. this is the actual spell, pronunciation of his full name. But everybody calls him Joey Pants. And he was on top of the world at this point. Oh yeah, he was he was coming off of the Matrix. Uh, he was probably doing eight, eight movies a year or something during this time period. He was like the Sam Jackson yes. um, of Italian actors. Yeah, very successful actor and a, a very good actor and a good guy to put in this part because he probably didn't have to work that many days and. He sells you on this character. I think that's one of the things about getting a really good actor for a small part is that if you get a non-memorable, not good actor, when they show up at the beginning and then appear at the end, you don't remember them. You know, you know, if you don't see them enough, you're like, who is that guy again? Or why, right. why am I supposed to hate that guy? Whereas if it's somebody that's this talented of an actor, they can in a few scenes really make you feel what they want you to feel. Oh yeah, we get a we get a, a obviously Jimmy King wins at the end. We get the big big resolution to that, and then we get this uh, this ending where they're back at the convenience store talking to kids. Yes, I this is to... after after uh, Gordy has he basically saves the day by coming in in a cop gimmick, uh, <laughs> borrowing from W yes! uh, from WWF where everybody's got to have a day job. 
He flies into the arena on a, 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 a you know a California Highway Patrol motorcycle uh, and saves the day. And then pretty much is set up that he is going to be Jimmy King's tag team partner. There's a few things I want to say about this. First of all, yes, that and that's a great payoff to the thing where his family wants him to be a cop. So he does become a cop in a matter of speaking. Number two, DOA shortly before this existed in WWE, around 97, they were formed and they would ride down to the ring on their motorcycles. And since then, Undertaker had a gimmick probably right around this time where he was the American badass and he would come down to the ring on his motorcycle. We have talked about Hulk Hogan not being able to start his motorcycle as he took it down to the ring. I got to say, looking back at every time I've seen somebody come down with a motorcycle, you look ridiculous because you can't bring it up to any speed. So it's like you might as well be on a bike. You're slowly, yeah. or a tricycle for that. A God's tricycle, sake. exactly. You're slowly <laughs> inching your way to the ring, constantly putting your feet down on the ground to steady yourself because you're going so slow. Yeah. Uh, but I like that. I do like that part. I like that payoff to the character because, again, you really root for these guys. I really like these two characters. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a great, it's one of those great, you know, feel-good endings. It is a lot of fun. Um, we also we also get the, you know, the scene at the convenience store. And early in the first scene at the convenience store, there's the dream sequence with Randy Savage, right? That comes early in the film. Yes, yes. And that is a great, great scene. That's probably the first time in the movie that you see Chris Canyon as well. Because every time Jimmy King takes a bump, it's immediately Canyon, and there's a lot of times where Canyon looks right at the camera. Yes. <laughs> but Randy Savage is there as a uh, as a cardboard cutout selling Slim Jims, and they, you know, he comes to life, and then he's the villain, and Jimmy King is the hero, yeah. which is very very cool. So at the end, we get we go back to the convenience store, and he's telling kids that dreams can come true, and then. Uh, uh, you know, they, they, they get a, another, um, another sequence with Ahmet Zappa. Oh yeah. And he gets, he gets beat up by, by Goldberg. Right. Goldberg has to show up again to take care of business. <laughs> we, uh, we get a big ending where they ride off in a, in a stretch Hummer with, with Sal. We get Sal Bandini again. We're, we're, we're happy to know he's good. He's, he's all recovered and in a hot tub and he's more than good. <laughs> He's got a lot of women with him. Yes, and the, and the, and the Hummer is driven by Nitro Girl Che. Indeed, indeed. Now, and, and yes. he ends the movie by saying, "A very Don King like God bless America." Yes, very good point. That was Don King's catchphrase, and Don King famously during the the run where Mike Tyson was involved with WrestleMania, where it was Shawn Michaels versus. Uh, uh, Stone Cold Steve Austin and Mike Tyson was the outside inter outside enforcer. Yes, they uh, they originally started with Don King and Don King would come on and be like, "Well, the Las Vegas Boxing Commission says he can't fight, but he wants to come in the ring and fight Mike Tyson. So what are we going to do? We got big names, you know, Mike Tyson and WWF, and he, you know, he was great. He was Don King, you know. I mean, he was yes. just selling it so well. And at this point. Mike Tyson had a legit fight 
with a, you know not a legit physical fight, but a, uh, a verbal and legal fight with Don King, where I guess he, depending on who you ask, either he realized Don King was stealing his money or he decided that Don King was stealing his money. But either way, they split ways, and we didn't get any more Don King on WWE TV. Which is a, a, a true tragedy in the broadcasting world. I cannot tell you how much I, if you asked me at that time and today, I think we would have been better off if we kept on King and let Mike Tyson go to the wayside. Because as much as Mike Tyson was great and he did that punch on Shawn Michaels and he, you know, tore off the shirt and you know, he was really did the chop. he did the chop, he did the DX chop, and then at the end, you know, he was in favor of Stone Cold. He was no longer with DX. Don King is is a master, a master promo cutter. If if there was any justice in the world, they'd bring him back sometime. You know, to he would have been a great host of Raw one night when they did the hosts of Raw. He would be a fantastic '80s style manager. Oh my God, that guy has wordplay to no end. And so his line, "God bless America," you know, uh, you know, he would always say "only in America," but it's so typical of him how Sal Bendini says it at the end of this movie. <laughs> Sal, based on Luthez and Stu Hart. Um, definitely could see the Luthes in there, but really the Stu Hart, especially after watching Wrestling with Shadows, which we reviewed yeah. recently on this show, it, it totally feels like that. Yeah, there's actually the, the introductory scene for him. He's actually stretching, um, and working out on a bunch of high school wrestlers when they show up. Yes. It's totally that gimmick. I mean, it is really is. Uh, Oliver Platt says he accidentally hit Randy Savage during this filming of the opening scene. And this is proven if you watch those bloopers that they have, because you yeah. really do see it. And Randy and, and Oliver Platt looks shocked and horrified that he actually hit Randy. Yeah, and Randy was probably thinking to himself, I'm glad it was just Oliver Platt. <laughs> Goodness, that might have been the worst Randy Savage it was, ever. It wasn't bad, actually. Uh, Chris Canyon, uh, uh, God rest his soul, was his stunt double. And, mm -hmm. uh, Shane... and I actually just looked this up. Mm -hmm. Chris Canyon and Oliver Platt were the same exact height. Wow. Well, that yeah, I'm not surprised about that, but they were not the – well – they may have been the same weight, but they were not the Different same body portion. Built. Yeah, there's yeah. there is a clear difference when you see Canyon, and who yeah. better than Canyon to uh, to to stunt double him? Uh, Shane Helms did the stunt work for for David Arquette. Look out! There's a hurricane coming. Let's talk about all of the wrestlers that we see in this movie, some longer than others. Uh, we see DDP a whole lot, which is great because he was part of the David Arquette gimmick. Yeah. We see Bill Goldberg and Sting, as we talked about. We also see Bam Bam Bigelow for a little bit. Yeah, he's in one of the in-ring sequences yes. where there's a, the a triple post. Going I on. believe it's a triple post massacre. Yes. <laughs> Which no one can survive. And it's yeah. not even a pay-per-view. Uh, we see Randy Savage. We do see Booker T, who, who you know, has gone on to become the SmackDown general manager. Yes, and Booker T looked a lot different back then. And I got to tell you, Booker T and his brother were one of my favorite tag teams uh, in WCW. Oh, Harlem, Harlem Heat. Heat. Just Absolutely. tremendous. I mean, if you ever have time, just look those guys up. Um, and, and Booker looks a lot different now than he did then, especially with, with the hair that he's currently sporting. But I love those guys. And uh, there was a great, great match where uh, Booker T cheated 
Um, and somebody handed him a roll of quarters and he hits, I think it was Sting with a roll of quarters and the ref's counting as he's looking at all this loose change in the ring. <laughs> that is, well, you know, I think that is a, a reference though to a very famous moment where Randy Savage did that to Tito Santana. And that's how okay. Randy Savage won the title from Tito Santana, the IC title many, many years ago. Um, that, and that, by the way, was a Danny Davis match. And they oh. always use that later as part of the Danny Davis storyline. And even as a kid, I was like, well, any ref would have made that mistake. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about some of the other guys. I, I didn't spot all of these guys, so let me know if you saw Juventud Guerrero. Yes, I did. And I only took note of him because he didn't have his mask on. Uh, he did wrestle uh, with a mask for a while. And also, I could not, you know, not uh, get excited seeing him because – Chris Jericho, when he came over to WC, uh, WWF, yes. uh, one of his first encounters with, with The Rock. It was his very Rock, first, yes. And The Rock name-checked Juventude, uh, basically says, saying that Chris Jericho wasn't really fit to be facing him. He says, you think you're, you know, all that because you wrestled some guy named Juventude? <laughs> Hoovie juice, man. Yes. Now, Kurt, was, Kurt Hennig I did see in this, which I was really yeah. excited to see. Uh, another guy who's long gone at this point. But uh, yeah, sadly. he was a guy that I watched that documentary on him that the WWE put out. And in that, there, Wade Boggs, the baseball player, talks about how he did the whole I'm perfect segment where he was the pitcher and Mr. Perfect was just clocking home run after home run. And he said right. after that, they became friends. And they went hunting one day and he said that Kurt... Kurt uh, uh, was with him and Wade Boggs cut himself so deeply that he required all kinds of stitches and could have bled to death. And he said he couldn't walk anymore. He said he was trying to walk. They were going to, you know, to get, get to safety, to get to help. And he couldn't do it. And he said Kurt picked him up and carried him the whole way. And he said the fact that he was strong enough to do that. I mean, Wade Boggs telling this story, you know, absolutely, you know, choked up you know, totally moved saying that, you know, this guy saved my life, you know, and that there's no other way to look at it. I would have died if I wasn't out with him on this day. Yeah. And I mean, Wade Box isn't a, uh, he's a, not a he's small an athlete. guy. I mean, he, yeah. He was an athlete. Yeah. He was professional uh, major league. And athlete. that's yeah. it. That was his thing. He was like, you can't carry me. And Kurt was like, watch me, you know, I'll yeah. carry you and I'll walk through the brush and carry you through. So if you get a chance to see it, I think it's called absolutely perfect, but it's the, it's the documentary WWE put out on him uh, maybe about five years ago at this point. It, it is and he was great. really, really well worth seeing. I've, I've, uh, in, in, in my travels, meeting wrestlers, I've met a few and talked to them about him, uh, specifically George the Animal Steel, who had so many nice things to say about him, just said he was such a wonderful man, you know, that he was just such a nice guy. And did you see George Steele wrestle? I did. I did. I saw George Steele do what you could kind of consider wrestling uh, in the year 2010. Uh well past his prime, but he was still ripping turnbuckles and he was a tag team partner in a match that he appeared in for all of about 15 seconds in a, to a small crowd in New Jersey. Yeah. And we can actually, we already mentioned, um, uh, the movie earlier, uh, in this episode, but we, we can cover eventually, um, Oh, Ed, Ed Wood. Wood. Yeah. Ed Wood. Absolutely. Um, Perry Saturn. We see, we see Ray Mysterio Jr. Did you catch him? I remember seeing him. I just can't recall where. I mean, there's a lot of... Yeah, there's a lot of guys you see real quick, and I think he didn't have his mask on. Yeah, this was probably definitely the 
the point in his career where he had been unmasked. And uh, Prince I- Iakia is in this, yes. Van Hammer. Gorgeous George is standing alongside uh, Randy Savage in the cutout form. And then, yes. and then comes to life. We also get our announcers. We get Michael Buffer doing the Ready to Rumble. We get Tony Giovanni and Mike Tanay, as well as Mean Gene in a great scene where they're backstage talking to Mean Gene. I like that scene a lot. Yes. And then uh, we also get referee Charles Robinson, who is still an active WWE ref, and he had that whole Little Nature Boy gimmick for a while. He did. He did indeed. Let's talk about the state of wrestling at the time when Ready to Rumble came out. You got your WCW World Heavyweight Champ, Sid Vicious. And on April 10th, the titles were declared vacant by Vince Russo and Eric Bischoff. After they rebooted WCW, they took like a week off and did a best of, and they rebooted the franchise. (laughs) And this really shows you how far off the rails WCW was at this point. I mean... It, they they were no longer com- competing in the ratings with the, with with Raw, um, and it was really just a mess. You had Russo who was just out of control in terms of the writing, and you know you had a lot of guys steering a ship that didn't really that really shouldn't have been steering a ship. <laughs> that is so true. Uh, also, the reboot itself. Anytime you're sitting there saying, you know, the Cena AJ Vicky Guerrero storyline is stupid pop in an episode of Nitro from this era and you'll totally say you know what it's not that bad at least it's not that bad yeah (laughs) the U.S. champ was Jeff Jarrett this was really close to the end of WCW when you know they had the whole thing where Vince thought he bought Nitro it ended up being Shane that bought them and then they had the invasion but Vince saw him on TV and he's like will I hire him and double no, you know, remember he was like, uh, he was like, you know, uh, uh, you're fired. You know, he did that whole gimmick. And Jeff Jarrett, a guy who screwed Vince over with the help of Vince Russo when he worked for WWE. Uh, the story is that his contract expired and he had one match. He still had the title. And so he had to lose the title to China. And Vince Russo apparently colluded with him to make sure that it would work out so that he could lose that title when he was no longer under contract and get like a hundred grand or two hundred grand for one horrible, horrible match. Yeah. And I gotta say, I mean, I, I was a huge Jeff Jarrett fan when he first came to the WWF right. with that whole double, you know, double J I liked gimmick. It. Yes. But he was a guy that I think he was one of those guys that thought he was bigger than he should have been. Mm-hmm. He was one of those those B-level, mid, mid-card mid guys that thought he deserved to be top tier. No, you're absolutely right. He was, and and he would have been a great, you know, there's nothing wrong with being oh. uh, the, the top mid-carder. I mean, if you hear how we talk about Kurt Henning, Kurt Henning was never world champ. Kurt Henning oh. was a middle-of-the-card guy, you know, who did fight Hogan a few times but never won and was an IC champ. And, and God, I have nothing but great things to say about him. Sid, on the other hand, my memories aren't so positive. So there's nothing wrong with being a great mid-card guy, but a mid-card guy that bumps up to the top and doesn't belong there. Sometimes, like Jeff Jarrett, it's not a good thing. Uh, WCW World Tag Team Champs were the Harris Brothers, who were also DOA in WWF. They had a handful of other monikers, and they appeared everywhere. Um, 
WWF at the time, they weren't WWE yet, but they had Triple H as champ. IC champ was the horrific Chris Benoit. And then tag team champs Edge and Christian doing their five-second poses. This was a good time for wrestling. What a great era for, for WWF wrestling. I mean, this was really the birth of, like, the tables, ladders, and chairs matches. Just really, really high-energy tag team stuff going on. And, uh, boy, I, I could watch any of those matches. So let's ask, did you tap out to Ready to Rumble, Go Go Headlock American Wrestling? All right, I got to say that I, I, I was a huge WCW fan in the mid to late 90s. There was probably a period where I was watching WCW on a regular basis and not watching WWF programming at all. With that said, I got to say that even with the, you know, the haze of nostalgia and my love of WCW, I, I can't tap for this movie. It's too much fun. And as a wrestling fan, you're going to see people, you know, it's, it's just chock full of wrestlers and it really treats the business in a great way. And it's just fun. It's light. And it really captures the time. And, and I, I, I got to say, I, I would recommend watching this movie. All right. I am going to say very much echoing what you say. This is a fun movie. And I talked about how I watched it with a non-wrestling fan and she liked it. It's a movie that you can watch. Whether you're a wrestling fan or not, you just have to be somebody that's a fan of really, really lowbrow entertainment. And on that level, this certainly at least uh, gets to your expectation. It may not totally exceed it, but it's not to the point that I could ever tap out to it. So, no, I do not tap out to Ready to Rumble. Well, thanks for joining me on this one, Craig. This was a real, real fun blast from the past. Yes, it was. And we will see you next time here on Camel Clutch Cinema. So you want to wrestle, huh? You're too little. We got ushers bigger than you. Leave. I got to take a crap. Don't you see? Your skills plus my skills in the ring. Tag team. Howard Patrols is John Triton. What are you doing up there? Staying away from you. No more rhymes now. I mean it. Anybody want to feel it? What's I smell? <laughs> Jimmy King! Oh my god, a four-post massacre! No one can survive this! This isn't even a pay-per-view!